Good morning. Today I'll be reading from Psalm 90 and Matthew 6, verses 90 to 24. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth, and the world from eternity to eternity. You are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return. The sentence of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like the hours of the night. You and the lives they sleep, they're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it weathers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger, we are terrified by your wrath. You have set your iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For our days ebb away un under your wrath, when our um, years like a sigh, our life lasts 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully, so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love, so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by our servants, and let your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work for our hands. Matthew 6, verses 90 to 24. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and seal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves are breaking and steal. For where you, for where treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eyes the lamp of the body. If your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thank you for listening. Now these two Bible passages uh, seem unrelated at first glance, but they round out our, um, our sort of series on generous uh, giving that, and living that we've been looking at over the last several weeks. We're continuing with our head, heart and hands and holy worship series. And as you know, we've been looking at what it means to live generously in, in response to God's generosity to us. Two weeks ago, we first of all saw the doctrine, you know, the theology of giving. <coughs> Pardon me. 
Okay. Uh, and today we're going to round out uh, that series. So we saw how God uh, actually uh, wrote tithing, giving a tenth of what, you, uh, of what you earned into the law for the Israelites. And this was a way for them to provide for the religious and the spiritual needs of, uh, of the people by supporting the work of the tabernacle and the temple. But we also saw that this wasn't just a law that God had given to Israel. Uh, in fact, it, it becomes a natural part. It's a natural part of us responding to what God has done for us. And we looked at that when we saw how Abram gave a tenth of the plunder uh, to the, the priest king Melchizedek. We also saw that it is not the size, in a sense, of the offering that matters to God, but the heart behind it. And we looked at how the widow gave her last two pennies to God, as opposed to um, the people who brought in stacks of cash, but whose heart was not in the offering they were giving. And we saw that, uh, that for God, it's actually not the size of the offering, but the heart beneath it that, that matters. So then last week, we looked at the heart of generosity, and we saw how generosity to God is deeply linked to God's generosity to us in Jesus Christ. We saw that, uh, that we would never be generous people unless we recognized that Jesus actually gave all that he had to save us from our sins. And so in response to God's generosity in Christ Jesus, we become generous people. Our identity, in fact, shifts from uh, who we were before to, those, uh, to loving Jesus and following him and then living generously. We saw that the law of sowing and reaping applies to giving too. God promises that when we sow with blessing and generosity, uh, that God blesses us in return and that this blessing in return is, is most often not a financial blessing but a spiritual one. He blesses us when we generously bless the work of the gospel through spiritual growth and through deeper faith uh, in, and in his provision. And so today we're going to look at practically then how do we go about giving generously? And we're going to do that by looking first at Psalm 90 and then swivel over to Matthew chapter 6 and look at the kind of practical implications of these passages on us. And so we're going to look at the principle in Psalm 90, the priority in Matthew 6, and then the practice of what, um, uh, of what that might look like today. So first let's look at the principle of Psalm 90. Now, Psalm 90 is a wonderful psalm that reminds us of our standing and place in the world. Now, there's great depth to the psalm, and it's probably worth spending a couple of weeks just exploring the psalm itself, but we obviously don't have time for that today. So I want to just draw out the thinking in Psalm, um, psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a, uh, is a psalm that reminds us of our place in life before God. The psalmist tells us, he reminds us, that of the curse which we all fall under. We are all, he says, destined to die. We are but dust. And so the psalm is a prayer to God that recalls the problem we have because of sin. We all share sin as a fundamental problem. We are all, in a sense, under God's wrath and curse uh, because we will all die. And we need to actually start there, the psalmist says. We need to grapple with this because if we don't grapple with our mortality, with our uh, inevitable deaths, we are not going to be able to actually live deliberately for the Lord. And so the truth that the psalmist wants us to grapple with, in essence, is this. We are ephemeral and God is eternal. 
You know, God is constant and we constantly change. God lasts forever and we don't. And the reason we don't is because of our sin. And so our place as people uh, fundamentally is that we stand under God's judgment. Listen to what he says in verse 7 to 11. He says, We are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities, our sins, our shortcomings before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath and we end our years like a sigh. Our lives are maybe 70 or if we're strong, 80 years long. And the best of them are but struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and fly, uh, as we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? The wrath, your wrath matches the fear that is due to you. This is a very uh, sort of morbid reality check for people. We age and we wither and we ultimately die because we are suffering the consequences of sin. And when we die, the psalmist says, we die like exhausted people. Uh, uh, we, we end our years like a sigh. Even our best years are but struggle and sorrow. This is a bleak picture of what it means to be human. But in many ways, it's actually true. And it is fundamental, the psalmist says, that we understand this. We, this is a reality we must grapple with if we are going to be deliberate in the way we live for God. It is for this reason, having said all these really morbid and shocking things in Psalm uh, 90 verse 1 to 11, that in verse 12, the crux of the psalm uh, is a prayer to God that the psalmist gets to. And he says, for this reason then... Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Friends, have you grappled with the fact that you will die? Have you thought about the fact that you, your death is approaching swiftly? Even the best, most health, healthiest of us here maybe has a hundred years left. That seems long, but it's not in the context of eternity. We need to grapple with that. Why, says the psalmist? Because if we don't, we cannot develop wisdom in our hearts. You know, wisdom is knowing what to do, what the right things to do in the vast number of situations in life where we don't have a clear guide. You know, how do you spend your time? Where do you invest your finances? What schools do you send your kids to? Which job should you take? You can't turn to the Bible and say, look here in the book of Chris, chapter 5, verse 11, it says I should send them to this school or take that job or invest my time or money here. It just doesn't work that way. So to know what God's will really is, we actually need biblical wisdom. And biblical wisdom, says the psalmist, comes from realising that our days are numbered, from carefully numbering the time that we have left. You know, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Moses in Psalm 90 adds, yes, and one day you will stand before God and you will have to give an account for how you have lived your life, where you have spent your time, what you have spent your money on, how you have invested the life that God gave you. So number your days carefully so that you may choose how to live with wisdom. And the phrase here, to teach us to number our days carefully, implies quite a number of different things. But firstly, it requires that we recognise that we have a limited amount of time. Our days are, in fact, 
numbered. But we need to number them carefully. That is, we need to be deliberate and choose how we will spend them if we are to be wise. We kind of have to sit down like a king going off to war and count the troops and decide what the best strategy is to use the resources uh, that we have. We need to take stock of, of, of our lives. We need to make a ledger, in a sense, of our time and resources and decide how it is we're going to spend these things. That is the principle that the psalm is trying to teach us. It is wise, it is biblically wise to be deliberate about how you spend your time about how you spend your money, about how you spend your talents and your skills. We need to number our days carefully so that we can develop biblical wisdom. So when last did you sit down with a piece of paper and look at your time schedule? When last did you consider how much time you have left to do the things that are really necessary? and important in this life. You know, after you've gone to work and taken the kids to sport and fed them and cleaned the house and done all the entertainment things we do, how many time resources do we have left? Are we too tired to give to God? Are we being deliberate about the things we choose to invest our time in? This is a complex issue and each one's situation is different and I fully respect that. But Psalm 90 is a call for us. It is a prayer actually that Moses gives to help us. Please Lord teach us to number our days. Help us to carefully decide what it is we're going to invest in. Time wise, money wise, emotionally, whatever. The Psalm is a cry to busy people with busy lives to pause, assess and reflect and to be deliberate. That's what Psalm 90 is about. That is the principle. Teach us to number our days so that we can be wise. So then what is involved in being deliberate with, with our time, with our money, with the way we live our lives? What should our priorities be when we recognize that our days are numbered? Well, Matthew 6 gives us the answer. Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking and he says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where, there, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking. And this is part of his Sermon on the Mount and he gives one of the key teachings about, about money and about where we invest our time, our talents and our treasures. And we looked at part of this passage a couple of weeks ago but it's re worth reflecting on in, in some more depth today. Now last time we saw that Jesus says that the biblical wisdom pattern is about money that, that where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. You know, we, we would normally think that that's the wrong way around. The message should be, uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is or put your money where your heart is. Uh, but Jesus is saying that's not actually how it works. We, uh, we love where we put our value. Our heart follows the treasure. Jesus says your heart follows your treasure. And so if you want to love God, then your treasure should be invested in God. If you want to love the gospel ministry, then you should put your money where your heart wants to be. 
Where you put your treasure, there your heart will follow. And to some extent, this implies that you actually won't love the church, you won't love the gospel ministry and you, uh, until you financially invest in it. Your heart will not follow until you've put your treasure there. Now, why is this? Jesus gives us the reason. Why this, that the heart follows the treasure. And it's a little bit enigmatic, so let me, let me explain. So verse 22, Jesus has said, uh, you know, your heart follows your treasure. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And we think this doesn't make sense. But he says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, then how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. Now that seems very strange and it doesn't immediately make sense when we read it. So Jesus says your heart follows your treasure and then he starts talking about how the eye is the lamp to the body and then he returns back again to the money discussion about serving God and not money. And it's odd and it doesn't make a lot of sense at first. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about the state of the heart. Our heart has, in a sense, a pair of eyes. Now, either it can see clearly or it can't. If it can see clearly, there's light that comes in. If, it's, if, it's, if it can't see clearly, then it's full of darkness. The bad eye, he says, of your heart will see only darkly. It won't see the truth. And the truth that Jesus is telling us here is, if your heart is blinded by, if your eye is darkened by money, then you are worshipping a different God. So see clearly. Get rid of the cataract of money, if you like, in order to serve God. You'll either love your money, and so your heart will follow where your treasure is, or you will deliberately place your money somewhere and your heart will follow. You will treasure God and so store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's work. And so to love God, Jesus says, you actually have to give your treasure to him. And your heart will follow. That's what it means to be deliberate about the resources you have here on earth. All of us need to sit down to look carefully and clearly about the treasures that control our hearts. And we need to be deliberate and decide about what we're going to do with our treasures. Because where our treasure is, our heart will follow. If we invest our treasures, whether it is time, finances, skill, whatever, in God, we are storing up our treasures in heaven and our hearts will follow. We will cultivate a, love, a, a life of love and devotion and investment to God. Or we can be blinded by our treasure, our eyes will be darkened, and how deep that darkness will be. Because our heart will follow our treasure. So if you want to be wise, says Jesus, be deliberate about where you put your treasure. That's the priority about how we live our lives deliberately. We've seen the principle in Psalm 90, we need to seriously take stock and evaluate where we're at. The priority in Matthew 6, Jesus says, is to invest your treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. But how do we actually do it? How do we take time and stock about Practically speaking, 
How do we do it? What is the practice? How do we go about it? How do we go about prioritizing our treasures in heaven as opposed to treasures on earth? Now, the simple answer is to say, oh, well, just give as much time and finances as you realistically can. And that's true. The second simple answer is, uh, the Bible says 10% tithe in the Old Testament, so we should just give 10% of our income and our skills to God's work. And again, if you can do that, great. But I don't believe that's what is intended in the New Testament. Now, I have to stress here that not every uh, interpreter of Scripture agrees with me on this, okay? Uh, but I don't believe the New Testament maintains the 10% tithe for us as going forward as people. Also, I don't think it would be practically possible for most of us living in Melbourne in 2023. In Israel, the 10% tithe was part of their law. And the 10% covered everything that included their welfare system, looking after the widows, after the poor. It was not only a gift to support the work of the temple and the priest, but it was kind of their Centrelink safety system as well. So we need to consider, if we're being realistic about the context that Israel was living in and the New Testament teachings that we, uh, and time that we live in, that we actually do have taxes and that our government has a wealthy, relatively uh, welfare system. So how do we actually do this? Now, I, I want to suggest two approaches to you. And I want to first of all say that this is not in the Bible. This does not carry the authority of Scripture. This is the Chris Pretorius method for helping us figure out what is a reasonable idea living today. This is my thoughts. You might find it helpful. Maybe you won't, but I offer it as something to consider. Okay? That's, maybe I should get off the pulpit and talk over here. <laughs> I think a reasonable amount for most of us here is 3 to 5% of our annual income. I think that recognises that a significant portion of our income goes towards taxes which support things like roads and welfare systems and those sorts of things. Three to five percent is also a sacrifice for most of us. I think three to five percent is uncomfortable, perhaps, but I think it's also achievable and at the same time I think it's a genuine sacrifice. 3 to 5% of your annual income will change the way you go on holidays. It will change the class of vehicle you purchase. It will change the brand of clothing that you choose to buy. And it is definitely an investment into the kingdom where we are saying in a world like ours, I'm choosing to put my treasure into God's work. May my heart follow. Now I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. This is what we do as a family. About 4% of our income goes to the work of this church. Uh, that is not to say, look at us, how wonderful we are or whatever, but it is to say that that is actually possible. We have a mortgage. We send kids to a Christian school privately, which is expensive. And that was a very important choice for us to make, and it's because we want to disciple our children well. And that's not the only way you can do it. You can disciple your children well in a public school. You can disciple them well when you homeschool, whatever. That's just the choice that we made. 
but around 4% of our income goes to the work of this church. But what that means for us as a family is that we don't actually often go on holidays. And unless we manage to somehow book an overseas ticket on frequent flyer points, we will never go overseas as a family. But we want to put our treasure in God and hope that our hearts will follow. And personally, I have to admit that this was hard for me to begin with. I can choose to invest five or $6,000 a year in a managed fund somewhere and in 15 years I'll have a quarter of a million dollars sitting there. That is true. Or I can choose to invest in God's work because I believe that that is what God is calling me to do and that's what we did. And that's a difficult thing for a heart to do. It's kind of like pulling out a weed and it tears at you a little bit at least. But we choose to trust that God will provide and he does. Now, what does that look like? Let's put some numbers on this just to illustrate. According to the uh, Bureau of Statistics, so this is public information, according to the Bureau of Statistics, the Australian, uh, in Victoria, the average household income is $97,000 a year. Okay? So maybe mum and dad are both working, uh, and $97,000 is what an average household, median household in Victoria takes in. If you want a quick and dirty method of what $90,000 a year is worth in a weekly offering at 5%, just divide it by 1,000. So $97,000 equates to $97 a week. It's pretty simple. Uh, the math is actually not quite correct. It's actually $93.27, but for a really quick calculation, you just take your annual income, divide it by 1,000. That's what 5% is worth, roughly per week. That's option number one. Work out what 3 to 5% of your annual income is and try to give that. Uh, or option number two takes a little bit more time, but it's about being deliberate. And that's to do a needs versus wants analysis. And actually, we've given you both options in your little booklets. So there's a little flyer in there that you can take and work through um, that talks about, okay, what, what am I spending on? What's my income? What am I giving to God and his work? assess our needs, housing, rent, mortgage, electricity payments, etc. Assign a value of this is something I need versus something I want and then just consider whether what you actually give to God and his work lines up with your personal conviction about this. And then to prayerfully consider whether that should be adjusted. I want to make two additional uh, comments here. One is ultimately your giving is between you and God. Uh, the New Testament imperative is that we should not give out of obligation but out of a joyful and generous heart for what God has done for us. That's statement one. Statement two is giving to the work of God does not mean giving to this church. Uh, maybe you support people, orphanages or uh, family members or whatever. That is also giving to God. And so you should consider that. So with that... Uh, I want to suggest we can really both fix our budget deficit, but that's not as important as choosing to live deliberately for God. So those are the ways I think we can be deliberate about the work that the Lord has given us and investing our treasures. Ultimately, it's between you and the Lord. These tools may be helpful to you. Others have found this helpful but they're not in the Bible and they don't have authority over you, okay? But perhaps they're helpful 
So prayerfully consider how you might go about being deliberate in this day and age. So we're going to pause there. I'm going to pray and then we're going to break up into our groups. Um, and then uh, after, I'll give you about a minute's warning and then we'll, uh, we'll come back together. So let me pray. Lord, we recognise that this is both a controversial, confronting and difficult thing to talk about in today's day and age. But that is because as a society we have idolised money well and truly beyond, um, yeah, I guess what you have created it for. We recognise that finances are one of those things that can cloud our eyes and can darken our hearts. And so we pray that you will just protect us right now against that. Uh, We've talked about some perhaps very um, aspirational things this morning. And perhaps for some of us we can be much more generous than the 3 to 5% we talked about. Uh, And nevertheless, Lord, we want to leave that at your feet. You are ultimately the one who knows what is best for us, both as a congregation and as individual families. And so we offer up this morning... Uh, the words that were said, and we pray that you will transform them and change them and apply them correctly into the hearts of those uh, that have listened. We recognise, Lord, that at the end of the day, none of this is actually about money. We come to worship you because you have saved us, you have redeemed us, you have called us to be your own people. You have lived a life uh, for us that we never could and you died the death that we deserved so that we could be your eternal children. And because of that, we want to be deliberate about how we live our lives. So we pray. We pray that you will help us to do that well. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.